Coming up in this episode, the battle to liberate Mosul in Iraq. What we've seen uh, in Mosul is a, a fighting force that we think is anywhere from three to 5,000. That's the Iraqi stronghold of the so-called Islamic State Group. Uh, they've had two years there in order to build some pretty elaborate defenses. Uh, we've seen tunneling and we've seen them move uh, large barriers that are intended to slow the Iraqi advance. And the elusive leader of the group. What I hear is that he's moving around constantly. Many of the leaders who surround him have been killed. And I think the moment that we find out exactly where he is, um, that'll be the end. Colonel John Dorian, spokesman for Operation Inherent Resolve, the U.S.-led coalition fighting ISIL, will break down the latest for us. That's coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by TrueCar. There's something about TrueCar a lot of people don't know. Using TrueCar can also help you buy a used car. In fact, there are more than 500,000 pre-owned vehicles available from TrueCar, certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy new or used, you can get upfront pricing that empowers, discounts off the list price for used cars, and a better buying experience through the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. With TrueCar, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. You'll see what other people paid for the car you want so you can know what a fair price is and feel confident. And using the TrueCar website or the TrueCar app, you can easily find the new or used car you want. There are more than 11,000 True Car certified dealers nationwide. They've sold more than 2 million cars to True Car users on the True Car certified dealer network. True Car users can save an average of $3,279 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar.com or download the True Car app to enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Very graphic situation. San Bernardino. An act of terrorism. Paris. An attack on all of humanity. The Islamic State. I'm back, Obama. They I'm want back. you to imagine them in the shadows. Hostile nation states. Can inflict mortal damage to the United States. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Welcome to the program. I'm J.J. Green. No doubt, by now you know the story of the Islamic State organization in Syria and Iraq. They've been there for two years. They've killed people in the most horrible of ways, beheading, drowning, burning alive, dipping them in bleach, and they've done it all supposedly in the name of Allah, claiming that this is some sort of caliphate that they've set up, some sort of Islamic utopia for all Muslims to come to. Well, the Iraqi government wants that territory back. The U.S.-led coalition is helping them go after it, and they're headed towards a big confrontation in Mosul, Iraq's second largest city. On this program, Colonel John Dorian, 
spokesman for Operation Inherent Resolve, joins us to talk about the developments. Colonel, welcome to the program. Well, you know, I'm delighted to be here. We know that an operation to liberate Mosul is underway. Catch us up on what's taken place so far. Certainly. The Iraqis, uh, coupled with their Peshmerga partners, uh, attacked at dawn Monday morning. And since that time, they've made uh, some pretty good progress along several axes of attack. So they've encountered light to moderate resistance as they've uh, approached the city. Uh, And we've seen them respond to improvised explosive devices and vehicle-borne improvised explosive devices, which are signature tactics for ISIL. Colonel, it's my understanding that not only are they using the typical roadside bombs and the typical VBIEDs, but they're using some more more sophisticated devices and some larger devices and structures. Is that correct? Well, this is something that's a, a newer capability for Dash. They have used uh, chemical uh, weapons. They have a rudimentary capability, and they've also used commercial off-the-shelf drones, the type that just about anybody could go and order off of Amazon.com. These are new tactics from them. They're not uh, ones that are disruptive. In in other words, they're not going to have a strategic impact, but they are a threat to our forces and to the Iraqis and Uh, So certainly we're not just going to admire those problems. We're going to bring in capabilities to deal with them. So taking a look at some of those problems you talk about, uh, among the top of the list uh, is is concern uh, about booby traps. What have you seen and what do you expect? Well, one of the things uh, about Dash is anywhere that they go, they do a lot of elaborate tunnels and a lot of uh, elaborate digging of berms, and they emplace improvised explosive devices and booby traps. These are booby traps that they place into the homes that they occupy. So what ends up happening is even once an area is liberated, uh, we have to spend a tremendous amount of time in order to reestablish stability there. So we've trained the Iraqis to deal with this issue and the uh, the government of the United States and other coalition governments have contributed uh, to funds that uh, bring in contractors to help the Iraqis and our Syrian partners, for that matter, to deal with this issue. Colonel, give us a sense, if you can, uh, of what what size fighting force you believe you're dealing with now, because we know ISIL has lost a lot of fighters over the last couple of years, but uh, they seem to continue to recruit and uh, bring uh, new fighters and new uh, operatives on. Uh, What size fighting force are you up against? Well, what we've seen uh, in Mosul is a, a fighting force that we think is anywhere from three to 5,000. Uh, that's a significant number of troops. And what we think they're going to do, uh, they've had two years there in order to build some pretty elaborate defenses. Uh, we've seen tunneling and we've seen them move uh, large barriers, these T-walls that are intended to slow the Iraqi advance. All these things complicate the assault on the city, the, the effort to liberate it. But we've given uh, the Iraqis a tremendous amount of training, including training that's specialized for urban warfare. And we think that they're going to be successful in removing those barriers and ultimately uh, raising the Iraqi flag in downtown Mosul at some point. I think it would be uh, rather crazy to try to predict how long it's going to take. Uh, but... Uh, you know, we do believe they're going to be successful. Yeah, speaking of time, uh, the prime minister mentioned, and uh, I believe your your predecessor in this particular position indicated that 
the Iraqi hope was initially December. You think that's changed? Well, you know, uh, I've seen Prime Minister Abadi, uh, you know, say that that's his intent. And I think really what what we try to do is go after the intent. The intent is to get this done as quickly as we possibly can. Prime Minister Abadi understands that those that are living under Dash rule are living in squalor, in absolutely horrific conditions. So there's a humanitarian imperative at stake here. And the Iraqi security forces have uh, developed quite a bit of momentum over the last year. They've been able to liberate city after city. They haven't lost uh, a significant military engagement with Daesh in more than a year. Um, and so we think that it's time and it's important to take uh, to sort of capitalize on this momentum that they've developed. Because one thing that we've seen from Daesh, you know, they used to have a different shingle. They were Al Qaeda in Iraq. And whenever they had uh, the opportunity to pause and regroup, they came back as something even more dangerous. That's why it's really important that we keep pressure on them constantly. And the Iraqis are very keen to move out and get uh, Mosul liberated and to liberate the rest of the country after that. Colonel, back on the pressure business in just a moment, but you talked about the humanitarian situation. I'd like to deal with that a little bit first. We've been hearing numbers thrown around here about the possibility that a million people could be impacted or displaced or possibly in harm's way because of this. Um, do you get the sense uh, that that could be the case? And what, what, are we, what are we worried about here? Human shields, uh, caught in crossfire, et cetera? Well, we, we know that uh, there are anywhere from 600,000 to upwards of a million people living in Mosul now. Uh, this is a, a, a tremendous number of people. They're living in terrible conditions, and we want to try to get them liberated as quickly as possible. Uh, with that in mind, the Iraqis, who are going to lead the effort to care for these folks once they've been liberated, uh, have been working with the UN and the international community, and we've had our coalition planners involved in all the planning efforts for these uh IDP camps, internally displaced person camps where these folks will be cared for. So the Iraqis have ordered the, the uh, development of 20 different camps around Iraq, uh, and a lot of supplies have been uh, pre-positioned in order to care for them. So far, what we've seen is uh, small numbers of people leaving the city. We think that that'll grow as the battle grows. Uh, but what, we, uh, what we've also seen is the Iraqis do a lot of work to try to mitigate the problem up front. And what I'm talking about here is they've put a, a tremendous number of leaflets into Mosul, giving instructions to the residents. And Prime Minister Abadi has, uh, through a radio address, encouraged people when they're able to safely stay in their homes to do so. It's better that they hunker down. And that reduces the possibility that will end up with a, a very large internally displaced person problem. He also made clear that it was his intent that the diversity that Mo Mosul is known for would return once it's liberated. One of the things that's really interesting to me as someone who's covered this and also covered the Iraq war in the early 2000s as well are some of the learning processes that this organization appears to have taken up uh, and picked up and uh, tried to build on as it's done what it's done, uh, this domination over these people throughout uh, Iraq and Syria during the last two years, 
uh, using fear tactics, etc. A lot of people were afraid to, to 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 rise up against them. But I do remember in Iraq early on in the 2000s, uh, the awakening movement. Is there anything like that taking place here? Well, there there is uh, quite a substantial resistance effort against Daesh now. Uh, there are a lot of Iraqis and the Iraqi security forces indeed consider them a terrorist criminal gang. That's the term that they use in Iraq, a terrorist criminal gang. In other words, they uh, never have been and never will be a state. And that's how they adopted this name of Daesh. Um, you know, the conditions that they put uh, their victims under are horrific. There have been millions of people who have been driven from their homes, and there are tens of thousands who have been killed. And, uh, you know, they're really, uh, you know, there isn't, they don't have too many fans. People vote with their feet, and then there are a large number of Iraqis who are very keen to go up against them and defeat them. Colonel John Dorian, spokesman for Operation Inherent Resolve, joining us via Skype from the Middle East. Speaking of the, this operation to defeat them, U.S. forces are heavily invested in this, obviously leading the coalition there. How many U.S. forces are involved in this fight, and where, where are they positioned, if you can say, in this operation uh, to, to retake Mosul? Well, the government of Iraq has authorized up to 5,200 U.S. troops in Iraq. Uh, and then we also have a, a small number that come in through temporary duty that can go anywhere up to about 1,500 or so. Uh, they're positioned all over Iraq, probably about half in the north and then half in the rest of Iraq. Um, they're doing things like um, advising and assisting and training the Iraqi security forces as we move on, uh, as the Iraqis move on Mosul. Uh, it's the it's Iraq's second largest city, and it's an order of magnitude larger than any of the previous campaigns to liberate any of the cities that have been liberated up to date. So there's a tremendous logistics tale that's required in order to support the forces that are going to go in there. And this is a capability that's unique to uh, the United States of America and some of our coalition partners. And that's a lot of the capability that we brought to bear to help the Iraqis position forces and all the supplies and equipment that they're going to need in order to be successful in liberating Mosul. Colonel, let's talk a bit about um, how the U.S.-led coalition has destroyed ISIL's capabilities over time. One thing is the money. Another thing is the uh, security that uh, its leaders and its fighters have uh, have been losing steadily, uh, and also the 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 ability to to govern, which it never really did. But uh, let, let's let's start at um, it's one of the things that uh, your predecessors talked about as well was the ability of the coalition to take away one their income and then their ability to store the money they did have. Mm -hmm. Well, we, what you're talking about predominantly is airstrikes. And what we do is uh, we do airstrikes against their ability to make money on the oil business. So we strike uh, oil wells and pump jacks and wellheads and the trucks that they use to transport this oil. That's one of the largest revenue streams that they have. And in Iraq, it's largely been taken away. They, uh, they're pretty much on a subsistence level of oil smuggling. In other words, 
they're not able to make money off of it anymore. They uh, are able to snug, smuggle enough to keep their vehicles running, and that's pretty much it. So that's a, a tremendous impact on their, their uh, ability to uh, wage war because uh, without that money, they have trouble getting enough supplies and equipment and capability uh, to maintain their operations. And just to be clear on one thing, um, this enemy is paid. They're paid by Dash leadership. And whenever we take their money away and reduce their ability to pay, that has a very significant impact. In addition, uh, they pay a death gratuity if some of these fighters, uh, when these fighters get killed. And when we take away their ability to do that, what we find is uh, enthusiasm seems to wane quite a bit and that, uh, you know, it, it does affect recruiting. So we've also gone up against uh, their ability to store large portions of cash. Whenever we find that they've got uh, uh, money uh, stored in a facility, we will be delighted to burn it for them. And we'll drop a bomb on that and blow that money up and take it away. So th those are two of the things that we do. And as you described, we also go uh, and strike directly against Dash leadership figures, the commanders that are uh, you know, directing all this activity to uh, you know, get these fighters in position and dominate the areas that they're in. Uh, we'll attack them directly. And we also go against their ability to command and control so anytime that we can disrupt that, uh, what that does is it puts them in position where when the Iraqis are on the move, they don't have any answer. And speaking of the leadership, what do you hear about uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi? Mm -hmm. Well, what I hear is that he's moving around constantly. Uh, many of the leaders who surround him have been killed. And then when their uh, replacements are named, those people have been killed. So I think he probably has to sleep in one, with one eye open. And I think the moment that we find out exactly where he is, um, that'll be the end of, of him. So the leadership that is around him still, are any of the originals left, to your knowledge, aside from him? Uh, I don't believe so. Um, you know, they're, uh, uh, the view of uh, the network and all the figures that are in it, uh, you know, it's an ever-evolving organization, but uh, really all the significant figures around him uh, have been taken away, and, and then there are, in some cases their replacements have taken away. I don't think there's probably too much enthusiasm to be the uh, ISIL number two because that job doesn't really have long-term prospects. Yeah, that's what I hear. All right, uh, Colonel John Dorian, spokesman for Operation Inherent Resolve, I really appreciate your taking time to talk to us today. Well, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. I would say uh, that uh, you should be very proud of the troops that are over here. They've done a magnificent job, a tremendous amount more work to, to do. Uh, but uh, we're very proud of their work. Well, Colonel, we are very proud. And thank you for your time. Hopefully we'll have a chance to engage again in the near term. And uh, good luck. We hope to talk to you soon. The very best. Thanks very much for uh, for giving us the opportunity. You take care. Call us anytime. That's Colonel John Dorian, spokesman for Operation Inherent Resolve. Coming up in our next episode. 
What you hear is a woman talking about her plan for suicide bombing that killed 15 people, including eight children. She is a part of a growing demographic of terrorists. We'll explore what's driving the increase in female terrorists on our next episode. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm James Delingpole, and you're going to love my podcast, Delingpole. We'll talk politics, movies, music, or something really trivial that's pissing me off. Thursdays on my podcast, Delingpole. I'm A.W.R. Hawkins from Breitbart.com. I love guns because I love freedom, and I hate liberalism. Join me on my podcast, Bullets, on Tuesdays on the Breitbart Podcast Network. Brought to you by PodcastOne.com.